Chapter 15 of the Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness, by Horace Kephart. Getting Lost, Bivouacs. Kessla Selva Salvagia, Aspra e Forte. When a man fixes up his pack and strikes out alone into strange woods, just for a little adventure, not caring where he may come out, he may be lost all the time, in one sense, but in a better sense he is at home all the time. Not for a moment does he worry about the future. He is exploring new territory. That is all. But if one sets out for a certain destination, expecting to reach it by a given time, and loses the trail, he will be anxious at once, and the longer this continues, the more it will get on his nerves. Still, we would hardly call him lost, so long as he retains a good idea of the general direction in which he should travel. A man is really lost when suddenly, it is always suddenly, there comes to him the thudding consciousness that he cannot tell, to save his life, whether he should go north, east, south, or west. This is an unpleasant plight to be in at any time. The first time that it is experienced, the outlook will seem actually desperate. Instantly the unfortunate man is overwhelmed by a sense of utter isolation, as though leagues and leagues of savage forest surrounded him on all sides, through which he must wander aimlessly, hopelessly, until he drops from exhaustion and starvation. Nervously he consults his compass, only to realize that it is no more service to him now than a brass button. He starts to retrace his steps, but no sign of footprint can he detect. He is seized with a panic and fear, as irrational but quite as urgent as that which swoops upon a belated urchin while he is passing a country graveyard at night. It will take a mighty effort of will to rein himself in and check a headlong stampede. In such a predicament as this, a man is really in serious peril. The danger is not from the wilderness, which, pitiless niggard though it be to the weak-minded or disabled, can yet be forced to yield food and shelter to him who is able-bodied and who keeps his wits about him. No, the man's danger is from himself. We hear it said that no one ever was lost for more than twenty-four hours without suffering a derangement of mind. This is not true. Thousands of wayfarers have been lost for much longer periods than that without losing their self-command. But it is literally true that a lost man who permits panic to conquer him is likely either to perish or to come out of the woods a gibbering idiot. If that does happen, it is the victim's own fault. There is no valid excuse for an able-bodied man losing heart from being lost, so long as he has a gun and ammunition, or even a few matches and a jackknife. I have heard old woodsmen say that there is no use in offering advice to novices about what they should do if they get lost, because a lost man is an insane man anyway, and will remember nothing that has been told him. From my own experience, I know that this is a mistake. 
the first time that i was lost i was rattled and shook all over something seemed to tell me that camp lay in a certain direction and i felt the same impulse to rush madly toward it that one feels to dash for the door when there is a cry of fire in a theatre but i did remember what old barnes had told me if you get lost sit down sit down and give yourself half an hour to think it over i sat down and for five minutes could not think of anything except cold and rain and hunger then i got to drawing diagrams on the ground making no headway at this i began considering how to pass the night if i remained just where i was this cleared my mind robbed the woods of their spooks and presently i was myself again then the actual situation flashed upon me i saw just how i had got into this scrape and i knew that if i made a circuit of two hundred yards radius i would strike the trail before this it had seemed at least two miles away well i found it all right had i listened to the demon of flight in the first place i would have plunged into one of the worst cane breaks in all arkansas and might have struggled there till i died all within a mile and a half of my own camp i have been lost several times since then twice in cane breaks twice in the laurel twice in flat woods once in fog once above the clouds in the sense that i did not know on which side to descend an argyle or bare pinnacle of rock and three times in caverns the latter experiences were hair-raising but the others were only incidents to chuckle over in retrospect although i have scorched the back of more than one coat from lying too near a bivouac fire a bad record you will say for one who pretends to tell others how to keep from getting lost well maybe so but the fact that i am still on deck may be some excuse for offering a little counsel as to what to do if you should get lost i do not think that one can get the best of wild life if he does not often go it alone men who are interested in the guiding business may say otherwise if one does go it alone he may as well take it for granted that sooner or later he will get lost and have to stay out overnight or for several nights alone there is no man white or red who is not liable to lose his bearings in strange woods if he is the least bit careless if an indian is seldom at fault as to his course it is because he pays close attention to business he does not lose himself in reverie nor is his mind ever so concentrated on an object of pursuit that he fails to notice irregular or uncommon things along the way and yet even indians and white frontiersmen sometimes get lost i have been with a first-class woodsman when he got mixed up on his own home hunting ground an overflow from the mississippi flooding sixty miles inland had swept away old landmarks replaced them with new ones and changed the appearance of the country then subsiding it had even altered the drainage of the land in fog or snowstorm anybody can get lost you may take a professional guide from new brunswick let us say or from florida it matters not where place him in a country where outlooks are few and where the vegetation the rocks and soil and the general features of the country are strange to him and if he does not get lost it will be because he thinks more about avoiding it than he does about anything else 
those who scout the idea of their ever losing bearings are such as have travelled little in strange lands or have never ventured far without a native guide personally i would rather get lost now and then than be forever hanging on to a guide's coat-tail it is a matter of taste anyway i shall never again have the willy jigs as i had em that first time when i was actually within forty rods of a plain trail there is little excuse for getting lost in fair weather in a mountainous or undulating country where there are plenty of watercourses unless one gets on the wrong side of a divide that separates two streams which do not run into each other thus in figure thirteen let a b c be a main divide b d a spur to the southward separating two streams that eventually flow in opposite directions and let x be the location of the camp a stranger who had spent the day on the upper mountains might return toward evening to b and thinking to follow the creek from f to x might turn down at e by mistake and travel a considerable distance before he realized that he was going in the wrong direction in flat woods where the watercourses are few and very meandering the vegetation rank and monotonously uniform in appearance and landmarks rare a man may return within two hundred yards of his own camp and pass by it going ahead with hurrying pace as he becomes more and more anxious in figure fourteen a man leaves camp x in the morning going in the direction indicated by the dotted line he consults his compass at intervals during the day tries to allow for his windings and returning in the evening strikes the river at z if he follows its bank in either direction he is likely to spend the night alone in the woods if the camp were at a and the homeward bound hunter should reach the stream at b he would be dumbfounded to find himself apparently on the wrong bank of the river another easy way to get bewildered is as follows in figure fourteen we will assume that the current runs from a toward z that a party unfamiliar with the river is descending it in a boat and that one of the men leaves the boat at a going ashore to hunt along the bank at x he comes to the mouth of a deep creek or some other obstruction or he starts game that leads him back into the woods not long afterwards he reaches the river again at z and after hallooing and firing a shot or two but getting no answer he hurries on downstream thinking that the boat got ahead of him while he was making his detour the boat meanwhile has been rounding a great ox-bow curve and may be a couple of miles behind the man ashore in each of these examples the country is assumed to be fairly easy to traverse and in each case the misadventure might have been avoided by a little forethought a bush bent over here and there a blaze on a tree where the underbrush was dense would have saved all that without such precautions there are places where a good man can get badly muddled on a forty-acre tract this is no exaggeration one of my companions was once lost from early morning until after nightfall in a thirty-acre patch of blue cane he struggled until almost completely exhausted and when we found him he looked like a scarecrow at no time had he been half a mile from the cabin a cane break is bad enough but it is not so bad as those great tracts of rhododendron which in the region between clingman dome and the balsa mountains tennessee and north carolina 
cover mile after mile of steep mountainside where no white man at least has ever been the natives call such wastes laurel slicks woolly heads lettuce beds yaller patches and hells the rhododendron is worse than laurel because it is more stunted and grows much more densely so that it is quite impossible to make a way through it without cutting foot by foot and the wood is very tough two powerful mountaineers starting from the tennessee side to cross the smokies were misdirected and proceeded up the slope of the devil's courthouse just east of thunderhead they were two days in making the ascent a matter of three or four miles notwithstanding that they could see out all the time and pursued the shortest possible course i asked one of them how they managed to crawl through the thicket we couldn't crawl he replied we swum meaning that they sprawled and floundered over the top these men were not lost at all in another slick not very far away an old hunter and trapper who was born and bred in these mountains was lost for three days although the slick was not more than a mile square his account of it gave it the name that it bears today huggins hell i could give many such instances but these will suffice to show that there is still virgin ground in some of our oldest states if one is ambitious in such matters he might tackle the everglades swamps are the worst places of all above ground the first thing that one should do when he realizes that he has lost his bearings is to stop and sit down think how long it was since you were where you were sure of your location probably not a long time one does not go far before he realizes that he is off course suppose you have traveled half an hour after leaving a known landmark what is a half hour in the woods you are not more than three-quarters of a mile from that place so keep your shirt on don't take one more step until you have recovered your wits so that you can trace on the ground with a stick your probable course since leaving camp and mark on it the estimated location of such watercourses and other landmarks as you have passed then make up your mind that if you must stay out all night alone in the woods it is no killing matter but rather an interesting adventure having recovered your mental balance then take note of the lay of the land around you the direction of its drainage the character of its vegetation and the hospitalities that it offers to a night-bound traveler in the way of drinking water sound downwood natural shelter and browse then blaze a tree on four sides make big blazes that can be seen from any direction do this even though there may be several hours of daylight ahead and although you have no present intention of staying here for you do know that this spot is only so many hours from camp by back trail and that you may have good reason to return to it this blazed tree will be of great assistance to your campmates in searching for you if you should not turn up before evening if you start out to recover a trail make bush marks as you go along for it will otherwise be the easiest thing in the world to lose that blazed tree and that you must not do in searching for a trail do not look close to your feet but fifteen or twenty feet ahead of you for a faint trail is more readily seen at that angle than by looking straight down upon it cast your eyes also from side to side 
bearing in mind what a trail ought to look like when you walk parallel with it, as well as when approaching at right angles. But we will suppose that you find no trail. Now try to get an outlook over the surrounding country. In flat woods, this will be difficult. If you can risk climbing a tall tree, do so. Select one that has a slender tree growing beside it from which to clamber into the limbs of the larger one. If necessary, and you have a hatchet, chop partly through one side of the slender tree and lodge it against the other. A tree trunk of large girth can be climbed by twisting a withe of hickory or other tough wood, putting it around the tree and holding the ends. It will assist the feet if you make from some part of your clothing a strong band with a loop in each end for a stirrup. The feet should fit tightly so as not to slip through. Wet the band, fix the feet in the stirrups, spread the legs a little, get your wife in position with a good grip as high up as you can reach, then raising your legs press the band against the tree, some inches above the ground. Stand in the stirrups and so go clambering up. The descent is in reverse order. Having gained your outlook, note the compass direction of the watercourses and other landmarks, mapping them on a bit of paper, for lost man's memory is treacherous. The courses of small streams show where the main valley lies. If the creeks are very meandering or if their banks are very brushy, look for a divide. Decide where to go, take the compass direction, note how the sun strikes it, and descend. Now, as you travel, make bush marks and blazes along your course. Do not neglect this, for it may be important thereafter to return to the place where you first realized that you were lost. Consult your compass every ten minutes, or oftener if the timber and underbrush are thick. Average up your windings, allow for the westward motion of the sun, and steer for your destination. Do not venture aside into one of those attractive woodland trails that, as Nesmuk says, peters out into a squirrel track, runs up a tree, and disappears into a knothole. No signs nor compass can aid a man if he does not know in what direction his destination lies. Nor is it possible to keep a course by compass when the fog is thick or a blizzard is raging. In such case, bivouac where you are and wait for clearing weather. This is no hardship in warm weather, but when the temperature is below freezing or when an all-night rain is coming, it may put one to his trumps. Look first for a windbreak. It may be a cliff, a large rock, a fallen tree. If you cannot find one ready-made, construct one by piling up a two-foot wall of rocks or by driving stakes into the ground and piling against them several saplings or sticks of downwood five or six inches thick and seven feet long. If it threatens to rain, lay some poles over this backing, slanting sharply upward and projecting over your bed, and shingle them with sheets of bark or with brows, on top of which lay other poles to hold the roof in place. The best kinds of bark for such purpose are paper birch, brasswood, slippery elm, spruce, chestnut, pignut hickory, balsifer, hemlock, white elm, white ash, cottonwood. I have never seen a rainproof roof of browse. If one has an axe, he can soon rive enough boards or slabs from cedar, spruce, arborvitae, ash, basswood, chestnut, balsa, 
or other easily split wood to make a good shelter build your fire on the leeward side of this windbreak and within about four feet of it if the weather be cold build this fire above the level that you sleep on for the higher it is within reason the more good it will do you and the less smoke you will get stake a couple of backlogs behind the fire have ready some evergreen boughs to plant in front of you as a screen if the fire gets too hot now get in plenty of long poles for night wood make a bed of browse or boughs in front of the windbreak or at least lay some poles or a couple of logs there and lie parallel with the fire a very small fire if it is kept up will keep a man warm in bitterly cold weather if he lies lengthwise with it close to it and has browse underneath and a log behind him such preparations take an hour of smart work hence do not struggle on until dark in the hope of finding camp in very cold weather build a fire first against the windbreak after it has burned down rake the umbers forward rebuild the fire in front spread the boughs where the first fire was and lie on them over the hot ground this can be done several times alternately through the night there is no danger whatever of freezing if the snow is deep you must shovel down to the ground using the toe of a snowshoe or a riven board for a shovel dig out a triangular space of about seven feet base and eight feet long at the smaller end which should be downhill build a fire make a bed at the upper end the walls of snow make an excellent windbreak all around if it be snowing lay poles over the wide end and cover with brows on a prairie where there is no windbreak build two fires at right angles to the wind and get between them the smoke will then have a tendency to blow away in columns parallel with your body a hollow log is about the last place i would think of crawling into to spend the night even though no snake or skunk has preempted the den it would surely be alive with insects and the draught through it would be most unwholesome the indians of dime novels often sleep in hollow logs but i think they must be drunk a standing hollow tree is all right provided there's no prospect of a high wind i have spread my blanket inside a hollow cypress where three men could have stretched out at ease but don't light a fire in such a place the inside of a dead tree is very inflammable end of chapter fifteen getting lost bivouacs